Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, as always, and I am super excited today to be joined by Shira Levine, who is the founder and chief community officer of Fanchismo. Did I get that right? You did. Great. I am super excited to have Shira here. I got connected with her because one of my previous guests, Rachel Barge, told me that Shira is like an absolute expert in the world of community and building relationships, worked on the eBay Power Sellers program, built up a community for Sephora online, just like crazy cool background. So Shira, thank you for joining. And maybe you can give a little bit more of a walkthrough of your background and we can go ahead and jump into the topic. Yeah. Hi, Matt. I'm so happy to join you today. And hello to the Drift community. I just want to say that I've spent the last 20 years honing what I like to call customer engagement best practices. And the internet gives us a unique opportunity to bring our customers together through time and space and talk to them 24 hours a day if we choose to. And that can be a big headache for a lot of people, but it's also an enormous opportunity for ROI, depending on what your company's goals are. And so I spend my time thinking of ways, successful ways for companies, both B2B and B2C, and in practically every vertical from education to e-commerce to anything you can name to get them to successfully engage with their customers and get more out of the relationship. Yeah. And I love the fact that you've done it across all sorts of different industries and verticals and all that, because that means that you've got like foundational knowledge of what makes it work anywhere. I'm excited to jump right in a little bit more context on the topic for those listening. I think what we're going to dig into today is all about developing, building those relationships at scale. These days, Facebook groups, like most startup companies spin up some kind of Facebook group or people self-organize and all that. But way before that, eBay was one of the first to like build a true online community around the business with the Power Sellers program, which is something that you got going and built up. Do you want to walk us through that for all the folks that might have been a little too young to like know exactly what it is? <laughs> yes, I'm going to take us in the time machine back to the late 90s when eBay was just a little fledgling person-to-person trading website. They are what I like to call the first commercial community at scale. And what I mean by that is, sure, they had this e-commerce trading platform, but on the side, they had 150 forums that were just old school message boards where people who shared the same interests could come and talk to each other long after the transaction was over. I don't know how you use the internet, but 80% of what I use the internet for is to connect with other human beings. And eBay was extremely way ahead of the curve by letting people talk about classic cars or vintage handbags long after they may have bought or sold from each other, 24 hours a day from all over the world. And eBay, like many businesses, certainly like a lot of retail and a lot of marketplaces, there's an 80-20 rule. And that 80-20 rule in retail and e-commerce and online content is 20% of your customers comprise 80% of your business. Well, in internet terms, that ratio is collapsed and magnified. So in most businesses, 10% or even 1% of your customers constitute an enormous percentage of your business. And in eBay's case, 
when we finally put some data around who the power sellers, who are people who make their living selling on eBay, who they were, we determined that a tenth of a percent of all sellers comprised 92% of all revenue (laughs) for the company. And once we realized that I was running the program, we decided that it was going to be our mission to get to know that tenth of a percent. And that was 1,100 people. If you can visualize 1,100 people, it's like that many people would fit into a hotel ballroom or a convention center breakout room. Like we were determined to get to know those people, find out what they needed for their business match it up to a company goal and make it happen for them. And that's exactly what we did. I love that. And one of the things when we were catching up about this topic beforehand, you were telling me all about how the benefits went beyond just empowering these people to connect and feel more part of the brand. You also through those relationships, got to learn so much more about the types of things that you could do to empower them outside of just being in the platform. There was so much more that came out of that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I think if your goal, if you are in a successful transactional relationship with your customers, so let's stay with this example. The power sellers are making their living selling on eBay and it's making eBay 92% of their revenue, or, you know, this group of power sellers, your goal could easily be to just simply transcend the transactional. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm providing this platform. They're making money. We're making money. What else can I do? To get there, you actually really have to break it down of like, what do they want? They want to sit on their butts healthily and comfortably and sell more stuff on eBay. And what do we want? We want them to sit on their butts healthily and comfortably and sell more stuff on eBay. And once we got into those insights and started to understand that the story of the power sellers in the early aughts, this is the story of small business in America online. I mean, these people were selling walk-in refrigerator equipment from a warehouse in Georgia off-season brand new shoes from Bloomingdale's from a warehouse in Kentucky. I mean, and employing up to 50 people, like they were major cottage industries. What makes the world go around the small business market, the most valuable market in the world? You and I both know that in the United States, there's no universal health care. So one thing we figured out we could provide was a healthcare discount card for the power seller and up to 50 of their employees to get discounts on like gym memberships, optical, other kind of ancillary medical, expensive medical services, because a lot of these people didn't have, this was before Obamacare, a lot of these people didn't have health insurance and it was too expensive. The employer was just too small to offer corporate health insurance. So what did we do by giving them these cards? We kept them on their butts, in their chairs, selling healthily and happily on eBay. Total win-win. And it was good for business. So once you provide this service or program or education or event that helps people in their business, then you can start to ladder into this really deep brand love in a B2B setting. That's not easy to come by. Yeah. And I love this example because 
it goes so much further than at least my interpretation of what you can do with your community, right? You could have a community, you can empower them, you can figure out like things you could do in the product to make them better. But this transcends beyond that. It's like, what is the true context of how my customer exists? And how can I unblock them from getting more out of our platform, which, as you said, is a win-win for everyone. This word has a lot of baggage, but it's almost like a mindful approach to customer care. You got to really work to get inside their process, their needs. You have to know them. That can be very scary for a lot of corporates and especially B2B where you're selling this service. Basically, the person downloads it. They've got a remote support team somewhere. It's all done electronically. Well, that's just not good enough. Yeah. And to me, the philosophy that I hear from you is that it is the community is not just bringing the people together, but it's actually getting to know them, right? It's not just putting them in a space. Well, yes. And I think once you put them in a space, <laughs> you're going to get to know them. You know, you're going to sit down and have a meal with them. And invariably, the conversation is going to go about how's business and what can we do for you and how's your lunch? And then, well, how are you? And I mean, I think that's just human nature. We're, we're social animals. And then once you get to the how are you, wow, the whole world opens up. I'll tell you, I can give you some great examples there. When I joined Sephora to launch the Beauty Insider Community, which started with a small forum of 20,000 members on desktop and ended with 1.6 million people on the native mobile device. When I darkened the door the first day, I said, who's our most prolific users? Who's in here all the time? Who are these 20,000 people? And the team told me, well, there's one member, I'll call her Vanessa. She creates 30% of our content. And I was like, what? And when was the last time we flew Vanessa to headquarters? And when was the last time we took Vanessa out for dinner? And when was the last time we sent her a care package? And my team said, no, no, squeaky wheel. You do not want to meet her. You're going to get an earful. She provides good content, but the other half of it, dangerous, complainer, squeaky wheel. And I was like, are you kidding me? Get Vanessa on the phone. (laughs) The team was very nervous for me because via email, she could be very caustic. And the team was like, okay, we'll, we'll get her on the phone. We'll do a conference call. But Shira, we want to be in there with you. We want to be able to protect you and answer questions for you if you can't answer. And I was like, okay, fine, come on. So we set up this conference call. There were like 10 of them in the room like guarding me. We call this customer, Vanessa. And I said, hey, it's Shira. I'm calling from Sephora. And I really just want to say, I want to get to know you. I You provide so much content. Like, how is it that you've chosen to spend all of your time talking on our forum to other people? She was like silent for two whole minutes as she digested my gratitude. So my question to all the people who were fearful of calling their Vanessa, their squeaky wheel, is what is the possible harm here? Like the possible harm is that you're going to get 30 minutes of complaints. You take notes, you hand them off to the tech team, you follow up, you wasted 15 minutes of your time. The upside is Vanessa sits on her butt and continues to crank out amazing content that millions of people consume on your behalf. Yeah. And it seems like there's this impression, and I've been under it too, that it's just going to take so much work. It's going to take so much work to like get to know all these people, but it sounds like 
the benefits just so immensely outweigh anything that you can convince yourself that like this is not worth the time. My question over and over again is like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try? I mean, I know it's intimidating for a lot of people and people who choose tech and support careers like I have or mine. I love what I do because it's one part customer support, one part just old school marketing, one part analytics and one part a product or technology. So it's nice quadrangle of of skills that I can telescope in and out of. But like a lot of people go into this work because they're more comfortable behind a desk, behind a screen. So if this is anxiety provoking for people to actually reach out to your customers, then for God's sakes, hire someone for whom it is not. <laughs> for whom it is not a big deal. I mean, I love people and Getting to know the customer really always makes me smarter and make way better, more mindful decisions about what to offer customers and how to treat them as humans and how they treat you in return. My next question is that you mentioned that Sephora had like millions of engaged people and at scale today, eBay has who knows how many super sellers, power sellers. I don't know. They're still called power sellers, right? Yeah, I think they are. It seems implausible to be able to continue to build these genuine relationships at scale and much easier to land in a place where you just have these segmented email lists of different types of engaged community members and you just reach out to them. Like, How do you build those relationships at that sort of scale? It just seems like so much. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. There's so much I want to say about this. First of all, it's an art and a science. Okay, the science is the number of people. And as you scale, it can get to seem insurmountable. But the art is how transparent and sincere can you be in your comms? So again, if if we're going back to transcending the transactional and making people love you so much that they feel like they're cheating on you if they shop anywhere else, <laughs> which is a promise I make to my clients. Like, I'm going to make them wish they'd stayed with you. So you have to really speak to your customers, BS meters in this moment of this internet age are at an all-time high. Everybody knows an insincere message when they read it. And no matter what your medium is, as you broadcast to your group, you got to keep it real. And the more transparent you can be, the more they will stick around because that feels real to humans. Okay, so I just gave you the hint. It's an art and a science. The science is who are they? How many? How are you going to reach them? The art is now what are you going to tell them? You could say, okay, release number five is open and these are the features. And also, you could say, release number five is open, and I want to thank these engineers who you've seen out here in the forum getting feedback with you, and I especially want to thank Joe Sixpack in Jackson, Mississippi, who planted the seed for this feature release. You can be comprehensive and thoughtful and sincere in the way that you talk to everybody. Would you say that you want to treat the community members as if they're friends or is it different than that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a nuance there for sure. No, I think that you have to be realistic about the relationship. You know, it's like people who keep birds of prey as pets. 
you know, are they really ever going to cuddle up with them on a sofa? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So you're never going to be, it's never going to be in a perfect relationship, especially in a marketplace or a business model like an Uber Eats, where it's a four part marketplace, right? You got the, the platform, the deliverer, the restaurant and the diner. It's always going to kind of feel like a landlord relationship. But you can be an honest and sincere landlord, which is the point of view is, if it's better for you, it's better for me because you don't destroy my house and you thrive while you rent my property. I love that way of thinking about it. And another thing that you mentioned in that example of how you go above and beyond by like calling out specific people and crafting a story around it, it sounds like a key element is weaving in the story of all the people involved. Like it's not just that the thing happened. It is that the thing happened because of, right? You said because of Joe Sixpack, right? Because of these engineers, like that is how you then bring that all together. Well, in a purely technology paradigm, like for example, like the one you work in, I bet you have a subset of customers who are desperate for a feature that is a nice to have, but is not on your roadmap. I bet. I mean, it's in every tech company. The smart thing to do would be to go out on wherever it is that you talk to your customers and say, here are the features in the upcoming release. And here is why we are not releasing these features that you really want. A, B, C. Here is why. Like you can say everything you got to tell them. They don't understand. They think technology is magic. Poof. It poofs out. Nobody gets it. So you got to say, here's the trade-off we had to make. Like, hey, so-and-so in this sector, we understand that you really want to do some feature. You really want to do this on your instance of our software. That is going to wait. And these other things that we are going to release are building blocks to get us there. I mean, every customer wants to feel like they're in the kitchen with you. If you don't believe me, I mean, during COVID, how many Zoom sourdough... (laughs) Classes. Did I just took a chocolate souffle online? Zoom. I don't even like chocolate souffle, but I, I couldn't resist. It was too cool. They want to be in the kitchen. Let them in. You get to decide. You can take it very slow. You get to decide how much of the kitchen they have access to. Right. Transparency in the process is critical. Magical. Yeah. We we had an example of this at Drift that I could think about a couple weeks ago, where there was a product manager that was building a part of the product and a customer was freaking out because we didn't have this one feature set. And the product manager was like, I have to get on a call and tell them that we're not going to build it. And he was in panic mode. And then right after the call finished, he followed up with the rest of us and we're like, well, we were really honest and transparent. And now they actually want to like buy more stuff from us. (laughs) That's right. You probably had a great week. Yeah. I mean, I heard, God, I was, A year ago, Uber Eats is a client, and I happened to be in the office when they had their like 2018 year in review. And like Uber, geez, they've been through the ringer, and they still are in the ringer, and they have the most even-keeled CEO I've ever seen. I happened to be in the room when he did the review of the year, and he said exactly this to his employees, and it was like being broadcast. Nothing is, there's no locked rooms anymore. And he was like, these are the strides. We face these challenges, X, Y, and Z. 
And these are the strides we've made against those challenges, A, B, and C. And we have so much more work to do to fulfill our promise to our customers. In that sentence, (laughs) he won my trust. He won my love. I'll never work for another CEO because he was willing to show his humanity. He recognized where we are in the world and he was more or less transparent. Now, I'm sure I didn't, I didn't hear the whole story and all the trade-offs and all of that, but like he was engaged in the struggle and he was honest about it. You have that both internally and with customers where it's transparent. And then the other part that I'm hearing is that it's a journey together. Like the community is a critical part of the story and you haven't achieved success yet together and you're getting there, right? You're like working towards it. Is that right? Oh, that is a really beautiful Zen-like framing of this question of like, how important is this? My very best leadership moments have been when I have been able to call together a very large cross-functional team in an organization and give my speech at the battlefront, which is, we have a real shot at this. And then back it up. My speeches, by the way, always come with food. <laughs> because people lay down every pre- every prejudice on the floor when you give them food. And so anyway, you can use the same tactic with your community. And we did at Sephora. We took those 20,000 people and we said, we are disturbing your slumber. We are changing your house. We're moving to a deluxe apartment in the sky from this shanty town. And we want you to come with us. This is a journey. Come along. We're going to let you see everything you want to see. We're going to keep you updated every month. We're going to devote all of our resources to keeping you here. We absolutely did. On a team of three, I had one whole human servicing 20,000 people at scale, by the way, at scale, like on a forum. There's commitment to it. Like you are voicing commitment to the community that we are going to support you. Absolutely. And she was in there every day and answered every question and provided regular updates and previews. And she did great. And they stayed. They stayed and they flourished. Do you feel like most communities these days are strong when it starts organic? Or is there still a formulaic approach that you can use to spark the creation of one? Like, do you have to see a spark that exists and then be able to capitalize it? Or can you make the spark? Yeah. What I tell clients is people come to me all the time. They're like, hey, we want to have a community around this thing. And I always say, well, what is this thing? I mean, what's your proof that a community, that an online community is a good tool to support this thing you're building, whether it be direct-to-consumer, subscription-based, contact lenses, or whatever. What's your evidence that this is something that people want to talk to each other or to you about? And if they don't have a good answer for that, I often say, it's not time. Now, on the other hand, companies can come to me and they say, boy, we do all of our customer support on our Facebook ads. And what we've discovered is that that we have an average of like 80 comments of people talking to each other after we do an ad post like a paid ad with with really interesting talk back and forth around our product. And I'll say like, yes, there's a germ there. Let's put together a plan. How do you foster that? So I do think like, A, the utility of your product has to 
have that spark. Something about it has to want to make people engage. You can't just say, I would like to create an engaged something. So I imagine that a company might take a couple paths, like a startup might see it and say, all right, we got to hire an intern, like get some college kid, throw them in there. And that is a common first step. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is that a move? Is that the move? Or is the move like you have to commit to it in getting like a director or VP level person and put them in there and then they build it out? Like, what is the, I see the spark. Where do I go? Yeah, that's great. The path to transcending the transactional, it very likely could start with, well, what does care and feeding of this spark look like? And the someone's kid that's a high schooler or the intern or whatever is a great way to continue to prove your theory, your hypothesis that caring for this engagement will lead to positive ROI. So if your hypothesis is, I I see something here, I wonder if my hypothesis, if we nurture this nascent interaction that we're going to get some good results. Okay, so don't spend a lot of money, throw some resource at it, make sure that person is wired for the work. And um, it's going to be a lot of complaining, customer support, a lot of helping, and keep measuring against your hypothesis. Well, if I'm right, then more people will start talking or more people will start talking to each other or, you know, you have to kind of put a few goals around it. And then a sophisticated plan would be when it reaches this number, I'll know I was right. And then we take another step. And then the step at that point, is it generally different in most places depending on the context? Or is it that you you get like a full-time seasoned person and put them in there? It really depends on the business. I mean, you could go from, wow, we're seeing that our sellers really want to be in a relationship with us. They're really reaching out to us all the time. They have great ideas. They have whatever. For some people, it's like, well, we don't send them emails. Why don't we start sending them a monthly email telling them what's coming? (laughs) That's a form of engagement. And that's a one-to-many. That's at scale. It's a content play. It's not necessarily a community function. But then there's the video game industry, which is the complete opposite, which is like, if you don't start with a place for your community to hang out, you're going to fail. And how do you think about creating the space? Is the space dictated by where the spark exists? Or is there a way to like craft? Like, do you get to make a decision of where this community exists? Or do you just have to like, you do? Yeah, you do. I, I mean, you have to, I think you have to have some kind of traction first, unless you're a video game, as I said, where you can't really launch without it. It's part of it. And unless you're in video games, you do. I mean, you could find the nascent community on a Facebook and you could get inveigle yourself into that community and then invite everyone to join you at another migrate over. That's not always successful. If you have an app, a specialty app, like, you know, cosmetics and fashion are great examples of places where you can do that. Unfortunately, a Reddit doesn't have sponsored communities as a service. Facebook's benefits is that it's free and at scale. And especially if you want to reach middle-aged women who control the household purse, it's all on. Every one of them has Facebook on their phone. This is a strategic decision. That also has to come with like, well, what's our cost to migrate and what's our cost to 
do it for free. And if I do it on Facebook, they own the customer, not me, et cetera. Makes sense. And there's also lots of service providers out there who are willing to customize your instance of community for you on your app or on your website or whatever. Okay, great. I'm mostly out of my questions here. I mean, I, I feel like I can keep asking questions forever, but is there any like ending note you want to leave people on here before we wrap? I actually think you and I went deeper and more interesting into the philosophy behind why and what for community than I have in a long time. And it felt great. And I feel like it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, agreed. I learned a bunch. This was a ton of fun. Thanks for joining. Thanks for talking through this stuff. This was very enjoyable. Yeah, my pleasure. And I can't wait to send the link of this podcast to my mom, who is standing by to hear it. (laughs) Very cool. All right. Well, thank you again. And for those of you listening, thank you for tuning in. As always, I super appreciate you spending the time listening to this podcast. If you're a fan of this episode or others, hit the subscribe button. As always, my email is mattadrift.com. Feedback, questions, ideas, topics, speakers, whatever it might be, send me a note. I'd love to hear from you and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thank you, Matt.